Hi, my name is Molly Schulte Tucker, and I have the privilege of pastoring the good people of Ridgewood Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. During the summer of 2022, we are exploring areas of justice, including celebrating Pride Sunday, Juneteenth, talking about patriotism and Christian nationalism, childhood hunger, global warming, and violence. This summer, we have been looking at justice, our summer justice series. And it's made me think a lot about um, how we view our call as Christians. Because it's really easy, honestly, it's really easy. It's really easy to sit in a pew on a Sunday morning. Or with live streaming, it's even easier to sit on your couch on a Sunday morning. <laughs> but I've, I've been dwelling this week on, um, on, on a thought. If the church doesn't do blank well, they might as well close their doors. I wonder for you what that blank is. If a church doesn't do, oh, no, don't answer, Kevin. Just think about it. <laughs> I would suspect it's different for each one of us. I don't know. Some people might agree with Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> but especially as we're talking about justice, um, if a church doesn't, do justice well. Should it close its doors? Just something to think on this week. On Wednesday night at 10.50 p.m. this past Wednesday, WDRB reported that a man was shot in Louisville's Russell neighborhood. You may have seen this on the news, you may have read about it in the paper, or you may not have noticed. And then if you didn't notice Wednesday, maybe you heard on Thursday that the police were called to the Russell neighborhood at 10.39 p.m. They could not find a victim of an alleged shooting when they arrived, but later a teenager arrived to the hospital they believed were the, was the victim of that shooting. If you missed those reports, uh, perhaps you heard of the man and the woman who were both shot around 4.30 a.m. on June 27th in the Russell neighborhood of Louisville. Really, you could pick almost any week this year so far. You could have looked at April 29th, April 10th, any, any week thus far this calendar year. The Courier-Journal reported this past week that LMPD has investigated 92 
homicides so far this year. We're on track to break record again. And there was an article this week that detailed each death in the Courier-Journal. Now, you won't only see the Russell neighborhood in West Louisville. You'll see Shawnee, California, Chickasaw, Highview, West Butchel, Iroquois. You'll see PRP and Valley. The list goes on. But over and above, you'll see the neighborhoods of West Louisville listed over and over again as young men, statistically men, are slain by gun violence. The Russell neighborhood comes up quite a bit, as do many of the neighborhoods of West Louisville. You'd also read, if you continue to look into the Russell neighborhood, you'll notice that the Portland neighborhood the Chickasaw neighborhood, and the several neighborhoods that make up West Louisville, they are geographically what we call a food desert. It seems unrelated, but it's not. In fact, Logan, if you'll put up this first slide for me, if you look at the map of of West Louisville, this is is the west uh, quadrant of Louisville. If you were to look at Louisville on a map, There are two Kroger stores in the quadrant of West Louisville. Two. Keep in mind, there's not a Meijer, there's not a Walmart, there's not a Food Lion, Harris Teeter, Publix, etc., etc. There are tons of corner convenience stores, but two Kroger's for a population-dense area of West Louisville. Those convenience stores that are on lots of corners, typically you cannot find fresh foods there. They are stocked with things that are a matter of convenience. Get it? Convenience stores. Think of a gas station. If you've ever gone in for one thing, what is it stocked with? The the shelf-stable items? that probably have a lot of preservatives because they don't know if people are going to buy them today or five months from now. So think about it. If, if you had to go and buy a box of saltine crackers, if you lived in West Louisville, not near a grocery store, you may have to get a bus ticket and take that bus to a grocery store. And by the time you pay for the bus ticket there and home and the saltine crackers you needed at that grocery store, you're paying at least double of what those saltine crackers are worth. So you might as well just go to the convenience store down the street and pay more than what they're actually selling for at Kroger. Or... What if your child is sick at 2 a.m. and you are a single parent looking for Pedialyte or saltine crackers? You've got to go the shortest distance you can because that baby's got to get back home to bed. So you go up to the corner convenience store where you'll pay more for saltine crackers than you would have at Kroger. There's a lot of what ifs. So let me take it to your house, where you live, your home. I want you to think of the grocery store you go to the most often. 
How many times a week are you there? Once, twice, I hope not every day, but maybe. Now imagine that grocery store didn't exist. What would be your next closest grocery store? How many minutes would that add to your errands each week? Now pretend that one didn't exist either. Now imagine you're a working parent, maybe working two jobs where you don't have time to have that commute to the grocery store and back. Maybe if you're retired or have a flexible schedule, you can plan to go to the grocery store once a week that's further away, but maybe you don't have that kind of time. See, there's a lot of what-ifs to a food desert. Here's how the organization called Greater Louisville Project defines a food desert. They say food deserts are a weakness in a city's infrastructure's ability to provide poor residents with access to healthy food options. A lack of access to nutritious food options multiplies the barriers to health and well-being that individuals who live in multidimensional poverty face daily. For many living in food deserts, gas stations or convenience stores are the closest options for obtaining sustenance. And for individuals already experiencing multidimensional poverty, living in a food desert can lead to malnutrition, obesity, or decreased educational and economic achievement. There's a definition or a word in there I'm going to bring up again. You heard the term multidimensional poverty. There's a measurement of this concept, multidimensional poverty. It's called the multidimensional poverty index. And it evaluates poverty through four dimensions, low income, unemployment, lack of health insurance, and a lack of high school degree. And again, from the Greater Louisville Project, here's the definition. The multidimensional poverty index reflects the fact that individuals experience poverty in multiple forms, low income, poor health, unemployment, low education, living in a poor neighborhood. These factors, here's the kicker, these factors are not additive. Each experienced factor multiplies the barriers to success for an individual in poverty. In order to address the complex issue of poverty, efforts to affect positive change must be coherent with the notion that poverty is caused by multiple confounding factors. The multidimensional poverty index, MPI, gives us a read on how dire uh, these factors are to any given area. So take a look at this map of Louisville. Logan, if you'll go to the next one. This is the MPI for all of Louisville. Green means it's a low MPI, meaning you're looking at higher education, lower unemployment, um, better, better health. But you'll notice there's an area that gets yellow to orange to red up in that West Louisville quadrant. You'll give me that next slide, Logan. That red, red space, that's the Russell neighborhood in Louisville. 
In fact, if you look over towards the left a little bit on that, that would be the Portland neighborhood as well. These neighborhoods, looking through the MPI, these neighborhoods have the lowest income, the highest unemployment, the poorest health, and the greatest lack of education in Louisville. And I'll also add, they have a lack of access to grocery stores. And I'll also add, they have one of the highest rates of homicide in the state. When you put all of these things together, realizing that they're all working with each other, it feels like we should just ask the question, where do we even start? Violence, poverty, food deserts, unemployment, where do we even begin? And where do we even begin as people of faith? And I think different uh, political scientists or sociologists or government officials will tell you different ways to attack the problem of multi-dimensional poverty. And I think as a church, we are learning to listen and learning to learn and learning to pray through and act upon different areas of injustice that compound together. But that does not mean there is still not need, that there are still visible and invisible systems like redlining or racism, like food deserts and inability to access affordable health care and so forth that contribute to issues that just snowball. My mind goes to the quote from Desmond Tutu, there comes a point where we need to stop pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and find out why they are falling in. We can't solve it, Ridgewood. I want to acknowledge that there are big, broken, multidimensional systems with big, complex, multidimensional answers And there are experts in these systems that advocate for and some advocate against such answers. And sometimes when I see that snowball, I just, I have to wonder, where are you, God? Because I I know you're weeping with the widows and the fatherless children. I know your spirit is the great comforter, but can we fix this problem? Can we fix this problem faster? (laughs) The book of Exodus that Janelle read earlier tells us about the Israelites' journey through the wilderness, through the desert. In fact, for 40 years, this group of people moved place to place, settlement to settlement. And all the while, God provided food. It's not conditional. 
there's some verbiage in there that, that makes it seem like God um, may have been testing the Israelites, but we know God provided. It was not tainted with expectation. It was not laced with evangelism or bent on baptism. It was not an expectation of reciprocity or payment. Yeah, and it was not without complaint. (laughs) The Israelites got tired of that bread. But every day that the Israelites were in Exodus, surviving in a desert, God provided them food. What we sometimes forget about Scripture is that it is wholly written from a mindset of survival. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, survival. The earliest books in Scripture, we call it the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They document instances of early survival where even just bringing a child into the world meant we might continue our lineage or we might have someone die. Survival. And then you move into battles, into stories of battle and kingship where entire peoples were taken out into prophecies and into lament and wartime and loss. And then you move into the incarnation of Christ, into Christ's death and resurrection and the persecution of Christians. We read letters from the early church where early Christians were killed because of their belief, because Christianity wasn't even legal for 300 years. Survival is what the entire Bible was written upon, even into Revelation. And you all know, I think I've told you I will never preach on Revelation because I know you already have an idea of what it means and I just I can't so I will never preach on Revelation but I want you to know it was a document a letter written under the rule of Nero to give Christians hope for survival in their martyrdom in their death all of scripture is written under the idea that we just have to survive So for a moment, I just want you to focus on that. What would it look like to have to live your life wondering if you were going to survive until tomorrow? If your family was going to survive until tomorrow, what would that look like for you? The Pentateuch, those first five books, tells us about God doing seismic things, cosmic things, parting Red Seas, turning chaos into order. And still, God put bread in the desert each day to fill the bellies of these wandering people. Because I would imagine food would be hard to come by in the desert. But also because... Food is important. Food is good. (laughs) Food nourishes our minds and our bodies. Elements of the natural world. When you think about it, it's really cool. Elements of the natural world get into our digestive systems and then immediately allow us to expend energy or save energy to use it later. We've got carbs, fats, and proteins, and calories, and all these things. 
And they are nothing if not holy. And science working together to sustain us so we might survive till tomorrow. The beauty of manna in the desert was that it was every day, just enough for that day. It wasn't enough to build wealth or warehouses from it. It wasn't enough to stash in the freezer and save for a rainy day, except for when they had to collect double for the Sabbath, but just like, go with me here. Uh, It was enough. It was enough to remind the Israelites that they were loved and cared for, even with just one meal. It was enough to remind the Israelites to take a breath, to rest, to remember that they are God's people, not survivalists out in the desert. That manna, that daily manna, was enough to remind them that they were not alone. I think there's a deep theology in casserole deliveries. I think there's a deep theology to bread, to manna, that just sustains us until tomorrow. I think it's this. You're not alone. You're not meant to be alone. God may be doing huge seismic things like parting the Red Seas, but God also wants you to know that you can make it through today. Tomorrow, ah, tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Imagine if the world didn't have food deserts. Imagine if Louisville didn't have food deserts. I'll say this. We have 22 children signed up for VBS this week. I don't know for sure, but I suspect some of them um, may be on free lunch programs at school. Statistically, that's what it would look like. And it's really important to hand them a taco in a bag or a bowl of spaghetti and meatballs or a plate with pizza or a hamburger or a hot dog. It's really important that they know that they are prepared for and cared for because that's the work of Christ. That's now the work of the church. That's our work as Ridgewood. That is the work of justice. Amen.